When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today, in countries all around the world, people are marking a very special date. That's because, if his life had not been tragically cut short, today would have been John Lennon's 80th birthday. Very sadly, he was only 40 years old when he was shot dead outside his apartment in New York, and this December will mark four decades since that terrible day. But today we wanted to focus on the good times, and to celebrate his life in the words of the people who knew him. I'm Laura Davis. And I'm Ellen Kerwin. And this is Beatles City. So, Ellen, we've been pretty lucky over the past few years. We've interviewed a lot of people who actually knew John when he was a boy and and a teenager and also kind of at the beginning of his career. Do you have any favourites? I think Helen Anderson's definitely going to be a favourite for me because she was just so close to him. She was obviously in art school with him, so she knew him as someone to go to school with, but she also used to socialise with him outside of school, so she had that sort of, like, friend um, connection. With they'd, they'd always just have such a laugh both in and out of school. So it was nice to hear her take on what he was like as a teenager before, obviously, he became so famous. What about you? Who's who's been your fa- your favorite? I think it would have to be John's sister, Julia Bird. She has sort of had a, quite a lot to deal with through her life, coming to terms with the death not only of her brother but also of of that happening so much in the public eye. And I think it's still quite hard for her to talk about a lot of it. But then when she talks about him specifically and particularly his relationship with their mum, who they also lost um, very tragically. I don't know she just sort of comes to life and she's really warm about him and you can just see how important he was in her life where better to start than with John's sister Julia Bird who shared happy memories of her brother learning to play the banjo with their mum so my mother my father taught her to play the banjo he came back from sea with a monkey and a banjo didn't meet the monkey met the banjo and he taught my mother to play by ear and so John learned to play the banjo and I remember her and I've sort of painted this picture in the book leaning over John and he'd have his hands on the frets and she'd be doing the strumming or the picking and then they'd turn it round so that John would be doing the the strumming Mm. and he would regularly visit you at home yes because my mother was there his mother that's where he wanted to be, yeah. Holidays, weekends, after school, instead of school. We all know the stories. So when you did go and see them, was it as his sister? Yes. Or, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. You... yeah we, we went several times with the whole family to the cavern. Of course, they also did <laughs> what John called the official premiere of A Hard Day's Night. Now, the, the real one had been the night before in London with Princess Margaret and the famous Rattelieu jewellery mm. stuff. And we wanted to go to that one, and John said, no, the real one is in Liverpool, believe me. And um, they closed the city down, which was the only time since Dixie Dean came home in 1922. They just closed the city. 
absolutely fabulous. Uh, we were in the town hall on the balcony, yeah. and I can go up there now and I look and I think, did that really happen? <laughs> yeah, did it really happen? It was, uh, it was really amazing. Of course, we all went in to see, uh, see the film, and um, John had lost us by then because we'd all been separated, and we were all sitting down, and we were next to or just in front of the mayor of Liverpool, and uh, John came out with the curtain through the curtain before anything, and everything went quiet because he'd appeared, and he, he said. I've lost my family, are you here, are you here? And we said, yeah, we're here, we're here. Oh, right, good. And he disappeared again, that's before it started. Because <laughs> he was aware that we might have been still back there. When we asked so-called fifth Beatle Pete Best to describe the other members of the band, he revealed John had always been his favourite. So what was it like going out to Hamburg and working with all the individual Beatles? I suppose you could turn around and say they're taken first... Uh, I'll name John, John Lennon, simply because of the fact he was my favourite out of the band. People, I suppose, look upon John, or at that time looked upon John as being a bit of a rebel, very sardonic, you know, caustic-witted. Would tend to take the mickey out of people if the opportunity arose. It's part of his character, but I was fortunate to see in Germany because we used to spend a lot of time after the gigs, I was talking about it before, where we relaxed, you know, and it was normally over a couple of beers. And I found that there was another side of John where he talked about his family, um, his, his girlfriend, you know, and it was very much that John that I saw in those days is what John the world saw John Lennon evolve to many, many years afterwards. So for me, you put the sardonic John and the John that I saw together, and that made John the complete man for me. You know, great musician and a great person. Um, but you had to discover his inner soul. The UK's first all-female rock band, The Liverbirds, had a funny story to share about when they met John Lennon backstage at the Cavern Club. When you first saw the Beatles in the Cavern, what, what was your reaction? What made you so excited? Oh, the whole atmosphere there, first of all, they looked good. Uh, they had Pete Best still at the time, and I was a big Pete Best fan. And we loved the way they sang and the way they moved on stage and the way the reaction of the crowd. Mary um, used to go to the cavern more often than I did because I was a bit younger and uh, but she used to go in with her guitar case empty and just so she could get in free so then yeah. it could just go uh, straight to the doorman and there was a great big queue waiting to get in but say uh, we're going to be a group and so they let us in for nothing and uh, well we stopped, then we thought we'd better start practising but then we went to the cavern one night and Bob Wooler said to Mary come with me yeah, he said, uh, "Come on, then." I said, "We're getting there. You know, we will be playing soon because we promised him because he let us in for nothing that our first gig would be at the cavern." And so he was beginning to get a bit, you know, when are you gonna do it? When are you gonna do it? And that one dinner time, he said to us, um, "Would you like to come meet the boys? They've just come off stage, the Beatles." So we went in, and there's John Lennon and Paul McCartney just getting changed. And John Lennon sort of looked at us, and Bob Wallace said, this is going to be England's first all-female <laughs> band, he said. And uh, John Lennon just looked at us and said, no, girls don't play guitars. Cheek. Cheek of him, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's what we did. Yeah. We did, we proved him wrong. And drums, of course, as well, not yeah. just guitars. Yeah. And, but 
as we said later on, we think he was just saying that to maybe encourage us, because you know what it was like, you know. So maybe that's really, and it did encourage us. So what, can you remember what you said back to him? I don't think we really said anything. We were just sort of flabbergasted. And right away, Paul McCartney joined in and said, I think it sounds like a good idea. So, you know, we said, well, we're going to prove him wrong. Yeah. Running down Matthew Street, we were saying, (laughs) come on, girls, let's get this. (laughs) Quarryman Rod Davis shared his own impressions of his school friend and bandmate, who he first met at Sunday school. I knew John from when we were at Sunday school here, from when we were five years old or I was five years old, he was probably six. And then, of course, at Quarry Bank School, I was in the same year as John, never in the same class, but in the same house, and I was in the same, ho- in the same classroom as John every morning and every evening for about 15 minutes, which is when he started passing this Daily Hell comic book around, you know. I was never a very close friend, but I was in, in his group, so I must have been fairly, fairly close, you know. What was he like? He was... Um, I got on with him OK, possibly because we'd known each other since we were very small. But I, I use, when people ask me that, I usually tell this story. We were, we were at a Beatle convention in Nottingham and uh, we were with Pete Shotton and the, the Q&A bit came up and the inevitable question, what was Lennon really like, you see? So Pete said, I'll tell you a story. We all pushed Pete to the front and we stepped back. He said, I was in a pub the other week, he said, and this bloke came up to me and prodded me. He said, hey, I believe you were John Lennon's best mate. What was he really like? I, I, I heard he was a bit of a bastard. And a big gasp of horror went up from all these Beatles fans at this Beatle convention, you see. So Pete said, I said to this bloke, do you realise you're talking about my best friend, the man who with his music has probably made more people happy since the world began? And a big glow of appreciation came off from the audience. Pete says, yes, you're right, though. He could be a bit of a bastard. <laughs> we, all, we all fell off the stage laughing. <laughs> so he could be very unpleasant. But I, I, got a, well, I don't remember having any serious disagreements with him except when we were playing at the, the cavern and he wanted to play rock and roll. And uh, it didn't go down well with the audience, who's a trad jazz audience, you know. Clothing designer Helen Anderson had some amazing memories of meeting John at art school and laughing with him and the rest of the band during many concerts they would play in empty classrooms. I met Cynthia before John, actually, because we were both at Liverpool Art School, uh, junior art school, from the age of 12, 13-ish. And um, we met there and we were very close friends until we left and moved over to the College of Art. And... um, so, uh, yes, and then uh, on the first day at college, um, I was walking along the blue corridor towards the life classroom for our first life class uh, tuition, and um, John Lennon ran over to me and bumped into me, stopped me in my tracks and said, hey, are you the one that painted Lonnie Donegan? <laughs> and um, I said, yes. And John said, well, if you painted Lonnie Donegan, you must be really famous. And... <laughs> <laughs> he said, I want to be your mate for life. And we were. We, that's how we struck up our friendship. And then when I discovered how talented John was, he fascinated me. You know, he, was, um, he was an enigma even then. There was, I kept finding out more things. So did a few of the other people that, that kind of liked John. A lot of people were afraid of him because he, he, seemed, he seemed a bit aggressive and slightly teddy boy in appearance. But um, there was a sort of 
little few of us that he had a little coterie of, of, of a team of people of about 12 of us, I think. And uh, we watched everything he did. And uh, very early on, um, Paul and George used to come into the college and have their fish and chips in our, in our canteen <laughs> that they brought in, brought in from Fortner Street Chip Shop. And um, straight after lunch, which was gobbled down in seconds, um, we'd all go up to room 21, one of our painting tutors rooms, Arthur Ballard. And um, they would start giving us private recitals. And um, these were young boys. George was only 15 at the time. Uh, Paul was 16. John was 17. I was 16. I'm a year younger than John. My claim to fame. <laughs> um, so, um, yes, and they'd sit in the... They'd sit in the um, the corner of the room, make it. They'd make make a little stage thing, and we'd be sitting around doing our work, and they'd just start playing, and they would play um, music by other people. Like um, favorite was Buddy Holly at the time, John, after Lonnie Donegan, and Gene Vincent, and lots of other Little Richard, and all these. They'd sing all their songs, and they were absolutely incredible. But they also um, did a bit of writing their own ditties. The ones I remember, remember mostly were John's, more than Paul and George. George played more than wrote songs, really, at the time. Anyway, he was a marvellous little guitarist, even at 15. And um, they, sang, um, uh, they sang George Formby songs because both George and John were crazy about this Lancashire singer from Wigan or somewhere called George Formby, who was very popular in wartime and post-war. And he was an ugly little old man, but he sang such funny songs. And John absolutely idolised him. And they, um, they, the songs went. Uh, most people are too young to remember George Formby, but I do when I was a, when I was a kid. And um, it was um, I'm leaning on a lamppost at the corner of the street. Now I think everybody knows that. And they'd sing this, and it was just hilarious. That was always their sort of finale little group. Three songs of George Formby. I'm leaning on a lamppost. And um, a, with me little bit of st uh, me little bit of Blackpool rock, that was another one. And um, so we'd all we'd all end the afternoon killing ourselves laughing, and you know just they they got bundled out by Arthur Ballard when he came back. He said, "Out you lot, <laughs> on your ears," <laughs> and uh, off they went. But this was every day at lunchtime, so they they had plenty of practice. They had loads of admiration and following, and then the crowd that were were coming to listen got bigger and bigger, you know, as the weeks went on. But um, there were such fabulous, fabulous days, you know, really. That brings us to the end of the fourth series of Beatles City. We hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we enjoyed making it. We'll be back in early 2021 to bring you some more amazing stories about the bands from their home city of Liverpool. In the meantime, please like, rate and review us on your favourite podcast app.